0: All right, Ted, welcome to St. John's University. So is it beyond this cornfield that's in front of us? Yeah, you can see the, the bell tower from the freeway, right? We're, and we're still seeing it directly ahead of us here as we pull up. Yeah, kind of up on a little hill there. It really is a, you know, a gorgeous campus during the day. At night, I would be honestly terrified because of all these woods especially after what you've learned. This is the Simply Vanished podcast, produced by Trembling Leaf Media in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Josh Newville. Welcome back to the podcast and thank you so much for your incredible support following episode one. Uh, the response was just fantastic. And in particular, I really want to thank the people who sent in tips, uh, helpful information to our website and to our tip line and to Lou Goose and Carol Levin for the immediate coverage of Josh's case, really from the moment we launched. You see this truly is an investigative podcast. As we produce these episodes, we are running down leads, consulting with experts, talking with tipsters, conducting interviews, you know, scouring for documentary evidence and electronic evidence and so much more. And even though we're unveiling some of the biggest leads and information in this case in 20 years, we need your help in connecting the dots and filling in the big picture and you know, chasing the right rabbit holes and figuring out which ones to ignore. And you may not think you have helpful information or that you know anyone who can help, but you can by talking about this case. Josh Gimond did not deserve whatever happened to him on the evening of November 9th, 2002. And in order for detectives to close this case, and more importantly for his family and friends to finally have some sense of peace and understanding with what happened, We need your help. You will be hearing about some shocking leads today. Because this is an active and ongoing investigation, we cannot publicly reveal our sources. We will use voice anonymizers at times. And in some cases, we will not provide you every detail of the information we've obtained. But rest assured that this information is real. These witnesses, even though we may use fake names for some of them, are very real. And you or someone you know may have the additional pieces of information that will be enough to solve this case.
1: So the next day is Sunday, November 10th, do I have that right? When do his friends start to realize that something's something's up?
0: Around 11 a.m., Nick realized that he had not yet seen Josh all morning. This being unlike Josh, Nick checked in with several of his friends, including Josh's ex, Katie. No one had seen him since the evening before. Nick was also the pre-law society's president, and Josh was its treasurer. Nick knew that Josh had a meeting scheduled for that afternoon with a student senate rep regarding the Pre-Law Society's budget request. When Josh missed that meeting, Nick realized that something was wrong, and Josh's other friends also began to get nervous. At 4.20 p.m., Josh's friends Dusty, Alex, and Greg walked to the campus security office, also known as St. John's Life Safety, and made a report that Josh was missing. Shortly after 5 p.m., several of Josh's roommates, including Nick, made the same report. At 9.46 p.m., the Dean of Students notified Josh's parents that he was missing. Josh's mom, Lisa, immediately contacted authorities. At 10.13 p.m., several life safety officers and friends of Josh began searching the Flinttown area. They went door-to-door looking for anyone who might have any information about Josh. Stearns County Sheriff's deputies arrived on campus just past midnight, and Josh's parents arrived on campus at 2 a.m.
1: I mean, does there a search at some point? There Are is. looking in his dorm room. What's going on? There
0: is. Yeah. So that you know, during those first few hours, there was a group of both life safety officers, but also some of Josh's friends that kind of conducted their own sort of informal search. They kind of went around the Flinttown area. They you know, certainly were at his dorm room at one point. I mean, Nick had been in there anyways. <laughs> um, they checked various places and the, the search didn't really intensify until you know, later towards probably the eight, nine o'clock hour. And then it, it did get Fairly intensive uh, into the early hours of the morning. I think they called it off probably sometime around 2 or 3 a.m. But life safety officers, you know, went through quite a few of the buildings. Uh, and now, you know, and, and I think one or two deputies from Stearns County Sheriff's Office came out and sort of oversaw or kind of helped in that. There was a report of coming across a house that's in the woods near these dormitories. And they, when they were searching for Josh in this, this sort of initial search, they came across a back door that was open. They then entered, found another door to the furnace room open. Other than that, apparently everything seemed fine. Uh, but from what I understand, they were the only person to have searched it in that immediate time frame. They secured both of those doors and then left. Uh, But that was it for the evening. And I think they brought a dog even. And this is all
1: all on campus, right? Yes. So there's there's, there's a big search going on, but it's only on campus. That's right. And they found Josh's car untouched. Where did the scent end uh, for Josh?
0: St. John's University is an hour and 15 minutes from Minneapolis. So Ted and I took a road trip this weekend. As I show Ted around, you can follow along using the aerial photograph and map that we've posted at simplyvanished.com So coming onto this bridge, Ted, I'm reminded the bloodhounds trace Josh to this very spot, to this culvert right here.
1: So we're we're in the, sort of in the middle of the bridge looking down onto stump lake and this is the last scent
0: the dogs had of josh that's right and so standing in this very spot within you know 24 to 36 hours of josh's disappearance the dog handler tells deputies he either got in a car here or he went in the water because the scent lost the That makes sense because we're on a sidewalk. On
1: one side's the road. On one side's the water. It's A or B. Right. You, it would be almost impossible, even if you were extremely intoxicated, to fall into the water here. You would have to climb up this 4 foot wall, stand on top of it, make your way through a lot of Plants and stuff. You and really then go in the
0: water. And that's so you get up here and then what? And then what? You
1: you you jump? We, well you get up here, you walk through a bunch of weeds and bushes and trees and then jump.
0: Exactly. And so if you hop up on the wall here. You need help, Ted? Thank you. Oh there we go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, see, it takes work to get up here. It's not something you can do easily. <laughs> okay, I can see a little bit of water when I look down here, but you still have to jump maybe 10 feet out to even clear the brush to get to the water.
0: It seems like it, and I think that there's an argument maybe that, okay, well, what if you just, what if for some reason you tried to cut through on the other side of the wall closer to the lake and walked, you know, on that side of it? But, but as you can see, there's still room to do that. It's certainly not an inviting walk though. But I think the argument is that you might fall here.
1: It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, especially given the number of times, countless
0: number of times, Josh has probably walked around here, right? Furthermore, how deep do you think it is out here? In the water immediately 10, 15, 20, 30 feet out from this wall? Probably not even over your head, I would guess. From what what I've been told, it's only a few feet. Yeah. So you could stand up also, Ted, do you see do you see any movement at all in the water in this lake? No, it's completely still. So when I use the word placid to describe the waters at St. John's University, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a lily pad just sitting there, and the
1: water looks like glass right now. It's reflecting the, the blue sky. I almost, if I didn't know any better, if I was just walking through here, I would think this was just some sort of kind of runoff area for rainfall.
0: Right. Pretend it's nighttime. Maybe we go over in the shade here. Let's talk about the incident where Anthony gets picked up. Okay. From what I understand, the story is that he is walking from Flinttown, okay, which is over here, towards the heart of campus, which is this direction. And he's going back to his dorm from a party just as Josh would have been doing. Okay. We have confirmed that the following story originated in November of 2002. It occurred approximately the same time that Josh went missing. A student we are calling Anthony was walking back to his dorm from a party in Flinttown when a four-door pickup truck or SUV-type vehicle pulled up. The four occupants of the vehicle told Anthony that they had a friend who was hurt or killed by the stone bridge, and he should get into the truck so they could safely get him back to his dorm. After Anthony climbed into the truck, the occupants drove him to a swampy area. When Anthony asked what they were doing, they told him it was time to pay the price for the ride. They then told Anthony he was to give the driver of the vehicle a blowjob. When the driver exited the vehicle to change spots with the passenger in the rear, Anthony ran into the woods. The four occupants then chased after Anthony, but apparently never caught up to him.
1: How close are swampy areas to this campus? Extremely. Can you show me? Sure.
0: I'm about to show Ted one very specific place that I have in mind. It's very private, very near the university, surrounded by swamps and woodland. And as it turns out, some very interesting garbage was found at this place from the night that Josh disappeared. How rural do you feel right now?
1: So, I'm looking at a dirt road below me. Lots of dragonflies above me right now. And just the whole forest just kind of almost creates a tunnel over the road. Really does. So, I don't feel like I'm close to a college campus right now.
0: Can you see a single house or driveway? No.
1: It's just us and the flora and fauna here right now. And on a dark night.
0: Hmm. This would be very private,
1: yeah. It's, it's quiet, it feels remote, but it's also really easy and fast to get here from the campus,
0: it is. Let me show you where this trash was discovered. From what I understand from Mary's report, so Mary describes the trash as being two bags. One bag had a prescription pill bottle. We don't know what the prescription was for or for
1: whom it was. But it was the other trash bag that was a bit more intriguing
0: in that trash bag she found two pornographic magazines two cucumbers a pair of women's heels size 14 like a man could wear those that's exactly what her thought was Hmm. and a mini skirt that was also so large that she, she presumed that it had been worn by a man.
1: And we're not in a location where cars are just driving by throwing trash out their windows. You almost would need to purposely come here
0: to dump garbage like that. And one of the things that she said was this was not the first time that she had found trash on her property in this spot. Hmm. But this is this disturbed her so much. That, because of the contents of those bags that she called. And and let's not forget, these trash bags showed up on her property the night that Josh went missing.
1: The very night he went missing? Yes. Is she confident that they hadn't been there for a few days and she just happened to see them that day? How
0: does she know it was that night? Today, 2022, she doesn't have a precise memory. However, we have time-stamped information from November of 2002, where she says that the trash bag showed up. The trash bags showed up on her property the night that Josh disappeared. There is a swamp not too far from where this garbage was found. This whole area is swampy area. Yeah. And the night before Josh goes missing. Another guy gets jumped in St. Joseph by random men. Wait, one night? (laughs) On Friday, November 8th, 2002, the night before Josh's disappearance, a man we are referring to only as Zach was at a bar in St. Joseph, Minnesota. That is the college town that houses both the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. After briefly visiting with some friends at the bar, and not visiting any strangers or talking to any women, Zach left the bar and shortly thereafter was jumped by two random men, well, at least two random men, who attacked him. He was unable to get a description of the men or the vehicle, nor determine whether they were with anyone else. Here's some of what Zach had to say. Right when I got to that turn, one guy grabbed me and the other guy pushed me in the back. And I yelled for my buddies. and they will go when they come to run home. So we've got the night before Josh goes missing, Zach getting jumped by random men around his age in St. Joseph. We've got the night Josh goes missing, two trash bags, one with various sexual items showing up on property nearby, in swampy, near, nearby swampy land nearby. Mm-hmm. And we have a report from right around the exact same time. We don't know the precise day, but we do know that it was reported to be in the two week period that Josh went missing. We have Anthony being brought to a swampy area and told to do something sexual against his will. Oh my God.
1: That's a lot. As a former journalist, I'm always skeptical of coincidences, but this just seems like it's too many. Some of these things, have to be connected or even indirectly or provide some answer for what happened.
0: Here's the scary part. There's more. In late August 2003, a man we are referring to as Kyle left his building on campus to retrieve his car from a dark parking lot. As he crossed a road behind a building, a vehicle with four males followed him at a very close distance. The car stopped in the parking lot, where all four men sat and stared at Kyle. At first, Kyle thought maybe they were just looking for a parking spot. Then he realized the lot was completely empty. Recognizing that he was being stalked, Kyle quickly left and immediately reported the incident to his father. Here's some of what he had to say. It was late at night, and he's quite sure that there were four people in the car that was following him. And these are just some of the incidents of which we are aware.
1: There was some talk on the campus of high alert.
0: If you have any information concerning any of the incidents, or any possible related incidents to that discussed in today's episode including but not limited to four unidentified vehicle occupants, which may or may not be exclusively male. Please contact us or the Stearns County Sheriff's Department immediately. You can reach us by telephone at 612-439-3646 or you can submit tips anonymously at simplyvanished.com.
1: Notice there's signs right now saying this is a reunion weekend check in alums. Yes, Josh would have had he graduate been the class of what 2004. 2004, he would be at one of these weekends as you've gotten to know Josh's life? I mean, did you, have you gotten any sense whether he was the kind of person that wanted to, you know, go on to college and come back to a small town and contribute to that main street? Or was he the kind of guy that a lot of people, a lot of people go through the college and they, they kind of escape and they go into a bigger city and try to, any, any sense of kind of where that small town stayed with him as he went to St. John's?
0: Josh was driven by the idea of eventually becoming a state representative, mm-hmm. his godmother, who he referred to as Grandma vickerman, she was a state representative and he really looked up to her he admired her and and he loved how shes she sought to represent you know the places that they were from right and not you know some big cities far off somewhere else and and I think he saw that in his future as well, that said Josh was really good about seeking perspective. And it was quite clear to me, or it is quite clear to me from everything I've seen and read about him now that he was interested in the world and he definitely wanted to get out and see it, but m- make no mistake, he his heart was still in rural America and in particular the, his roots, his central Minnesota roots in Southwestern Minnesota.
1: So he, he graduates and goes to St. John's. Why did he want to go to St. John's?
0: Yeah, so, so his several mentors uh, and you know, key influential people in his life in various ways, not only were some of them graduates of St. John's, but he also understood the the valuable education that St. John's could provide in terms of, you know, he's from central Minnesota. This is a well-regarded, you know, private liberal education, liberal arts education, and it gave him opportunities if he wanted to go on to law school, which of course he did want to do, it really gave him an opportunity to have somewhat of an edge while still maintaining a connection to his hometown in, in rural Minnesota.
1: How does his family feel about what you're trying to do here?
0: Yeah, you know, I've I've been developing uh, a relationship with Josh, Josh's dad, Brian, uh, Josh's mom, and and now I'm excited to say some some of josh's other family members as well and i will tell you that they all have sort of different approaches in how they've dealt with this over 20 years i I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a child your only child nonetheless yeah Um, but they are supportive in their own ways and they want this case resolved but of course they live in fear and anguish and You know, there's a lot of resentment and anger and other sorts of coping mechanisms that they've employed over the years as anyone would. But I have just this incredible respect for them for not only the way that they raised their son, but how they've been able to persevere for the two decades now that they've not had him. Are they still living in the same place? Josh's dad, Brian still lives in the very house that Josh was raised in.
1: So he has to walk by Josh's bedroom every single day.
0: He has, he has lots of photos of Josh in that bedroom today. Oh, God. It's very well landscaped. Brian is a, a gardener. Josh actually worked with Brian the summer before his disappearance uh, doing landscaping work with Brian. Uh, I, I should say Brian's a landscaper f- by, by trade. That's what he did for most of his life and so he has this beautifully manicured yard and you know he watches the birds and he's super into outdoors but being at his home you know where josh grew up and hearing some of the stories that he tells and then you know going to josh's mom i mean they, they divorced when josh was 12 and josh's mom lives I, I think I timed it, and it was a 32 second drive. <laughs> um, so she lives, you know, very, very close, just down the road. And and sitting down with her and hearing some of the stories from her and Josh's aunt and and others, it's been it's been crazy. It's it's also been I've felt kind of like an imposter, uh, you know, because these people have lived with this for 20 years, and here I come along trying to insert myself and yeah who's this josh from minneapolis coming here (laughs) i um. i don't know what to say other than that i've seen i've been really impressed by how other people who really have their heart in the right place and also take good advice and are careful and work collaboratively with investigators and the family and friends and others have you know, people have gone missing and so forth. How how much they can really help? Now there's of course dangers, and so I am taking active measures to make sure I don't overstep, to make sure I'm collaborating, to make sure I'm you know doing this in the best way I can. But it's obviously uncharted territory for me, and I'm you know. There's something
1: about when you played me the audio clips of Josh um, giving his commencement address when you hear his voice, you hear that that folksy Minnesota accent that we all love and make fun of in a good-natured way that that does kind of bring him alive to this
0: day, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's funny. I, my, I have a friend, William, who's going to volunteer to read an entire autobiography, political autobiography, that jo- Josh wrote for a <laughs> class, and I... I chuckled because I sent him the clips of Josh talking so that he could have some idea. Uh-huh. He's not going to try to like, you know, mimic Josh's voice, and I don't think he could if he tried. Um, but I do chuckle that, at the idea that, you know, Josh had... Brian has it, obviously, much more. Uh-huh. Um, but I do chuckle that Josh was starting to develop. You could tell the difference between when he spoke to the city council and by the time he gave the commencement speech, the accent had sort of taken hold more than it already had. <laughs> it's Maybe he was good. employing
1: it strategically when he needed to.
0: <laughs> yeah. He, the politician was budding in him, that's for sure. You know, the one of the cool things about the autobiography when, when you hear that is Josh talks about how he was changing and about how his, his education and, and like world experiences just in the short time he had been alive were already changing his views and i think that's so cool so few people consciously think about their world perspective in the way that josh did and you'll see that when you read this paper and it's especially amazing that he did so at such a young age and that he was had this mature self-reflection like i am blown away by that
1: he wasn't going to college to, to party for four years before moving on to the real world he was deliberately trying to expand
0: he had every intention of entering the public you know public public service in fact the week that Josh went missing he had been gathering support to apply for the Truman scholarship which is the nation's you know most premier scholarship for public service for people who are entering public service Wow Cause the told me lies. On the next episode of Simply Vanished.
1: It's this big box that could contain all this evidence to explain what happened, and people are just using it. During the time that Josh was missing. There was activity on the computer of a new account being created and accessing a few websites and ultimately downloading internet washer program that wipes and deletes files from this computer.